Hello and welcome to The Better Business Show with me, Tom Idle. Thanks for tuning in. Coming up this week. A new world order emerges and it doesn't come as a modification, a refinement of the previous world order. It comes from completely different directions. So dinosaurs were replaced by mammals, not by better dinosaurs. Yes, this week we're in the company of the marvellous Hugo Spowers, the brains behind River Simple the new company shaking up the car manufacturing sector. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is episode 46 of The Better Business Show. Uh, my name's Tom Idle. I'm your host. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back to us if you've uh, been with us before. Um, we are back to some sort of normality this week after taking a bit of a diversion in the last couple of episodes. Of course, we did our special episode on robotics and AI in business with Laura Thompson. That was a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we had Belina Raffi on uh, to talk about all things sustainable stand-up. hope you enjoyed both of those episodes. Uh, but this time, we're back to our business storytelling best with the brilliant River Simple. Um, so we'll have all that coming up soon. Um, and of course, it's it's just been Thanksgiving in the US last week, uh, which can only mean that it's almost Christmas, which can only mean that it's also the end of the year, fast approaching. And the Better Business Show will celebrate its first birthday at the end of January, um, which is amazing. It's just gone so quickly this year. And we're going to be doing something special to celebrate the anniversary early next year. Uh, we're planning to hold a special live event to broadcast the show from a special venue um, that will bring together yourselves, our dear listeners, um, as well as our guests um, on the show, some of which we've had on the show before. Hopefully we'll be able to get those involved, uh, plus some new new businesses we can get down there and bring you all together for, for a special one-off show. Uh, I'll be releasing a lot more on that, uh, a lot more details on that in the new year, so look out for that. Um, also, as we go into 2017, I'm very keen to know a bit more about what it is that you like about the show, what you get from it, what you don't get from it, what you'd like to see more of, what you'd like to see less of, I guess. Um, yeah, you know, Do you like it when we go off on these tangents and talk about robots or comedy, or do you prefer us to sort of stick to our, our usual narratives with the, the kind of case study type interviews? I want to know a bit more about what it is you want from the Better Business Show as we head into next year. So just a heads up, just a heads up at this stage, um, I'll be putting together a sort of mini survey that I'd like you to fill in, and I'll get that out there next week. So if you follow us on social media, um, you'll be alerted to that. But also sign up to our newsletter, uh, and you'll get that as well. I'd love to know what you think of what we've been doing this past year. Um, it's been a fascinating experience putting together the show every week. Um, in and around everything else that I'm doing with Narrative Matters. Um, and it's been a very, very busy year on that front too. So it's been great. It's been really good. But um, I want to make the show as good as it can be. Um, I remember, I think in the very, very first episode, I remember talking to you about what it was I was trying to do with the show and the premise of it and why I was doing it. And I'd been waiting to put together a podcast because I wanted to get it just right. And in the end, I thought, actually, let's just get something out there. Let's just see what people think of it. And it turns out you do enjoy it. We're getting an amazing listenership. And, um, but I really want, at this point now, as we're going to next year, to make it as good as it can be. And, um, and that means I need to know what it is you want uh, as our listener base. Um, so anyway, we'll have more of that soon. 
course, the large majority of our cars, our lorries, our vehicles, our buses, our taxis are entirely reliant on the combustion engine, which, of course, burns fossil fuels, which, of course, contributes massively to greenhouse gas emissions and local air pollution problems. In London, some nine and a half thousand people die every year because they're exposed to air pollution and tackling the toxic air in our cities is widely regarded as one of the biggest health emergencies on the planet. And that's purely because people are live, having to breathe in these toxic fumes. And yes, you can charge people to enter city centres. I know the new Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is keen to introduce what he's calling the T-charge, £10 a day for the worst polluting vehicles, whether they're, they're older cars or whether they're diesel cars. Um, but, you know, lots of people say this is just like putting lipstick on a, on a pig. The game needs changing. And as my guest on this week's show says, sometimes you just need to rip things up and start again. Hugo Spowers is the owner of River Simple. Uh, it's a new car manufacturer which has spent the last 16 years developing not only a product designed to rid the planet of these terribly polluting vehicles, but also a business model he hopes will incentivize and smooth the transition that is required if we're going to get people out of their dirty, 20th century cars and into vehicles that are fit for the here and now anyway here's our chat hugo lovely to have you join us here on the better business show uh, welcome thanks for being there good morning and thank you no, thank you for inviting me great stuff now, now give me the pitch hugo river simple more than just a car manufacturer uh what is it when you you know when someone asks what you're up to what do you tell them give me the sort of in a nutshell well, in a nutshell, we need to uh, transform the, um, the environmental performance of cars if we're going to carry on with them. And, and at the moment, uh, that means, it means at the moment, uh, if you sell cars, there's no driver to improve fuel efficiency because uh, the customer will always discount future savings almost to the point of zero. And, uh, and, and so therefore any, any more technology that, um, increases the cost of the car, uh, will actually just come off the bottom line and the margins are very tight. So nobody does it. Right. And the only driver really is regulation, which as we've seen recently is a very blunt instrument. Mm. Um, so if we're going to make a step change in, in, uh, efficiency, and I use that as a shorthand for all environmental impacts. It's not the only thing, but it's, mm. uh, it's a useful shorthand. If we're going to make that step change, we've got to make efficiency profitable. And right. that's the key message really behind River Simple. Yeah, so step forward, River Simple. Um, I mean, where, where did this whole idea come from? Because you, you were working in kind of the motorsport, weren't you, before? Yes, yes, I was designing racing cars, and I used to defend my long-standing interest in the environment that predated motorsport on the basis that it's the quickest and cheapest way of making improving the efficiency of combustion engine technology, which I still think is true. Right. But I reached the conclusion that we needed to get rid of combustion engines, so prolonging their tenure didn't really stack up any longer. <laughs> no, no, that's right. I guess a lot of the technologies <laughs> in, in motorsport does end up filtering through to, to, to common cars on the roads. But like you say, it's, it's, it's fundamentally changing how cars are kind of, how, how they function, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, uh, and we need a step change in technology. You're not going to get that from motorsport. Um, they're not going to be adopting fuel cells in, in, in a hurry. But also, we need a step change in business model and the, the point I made about making efficiency profitable. And mm. it's very much harder 
to change business models and change technologies. So more than half the work of River Simple is on the business model side. Okay. And the reason we are aiming to build the cars ourselves is because there is nobody to whom to license the technology if we were just to develop it and offer it to somebody else because businesses are designed to do what they do. And we're asking the car industry to do something completely different to what they do. What they do, they do fantastically well. But unfortunately, it's no longer fit for purpose. And and the exit barriers they have from doing what they're doing um, are... Inconceivably high. I mean, it's just not reasonable to ask them to do the sort of cars that we're designing. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll come on to your business model shortly, but let, let's talk about the technology for all those kind of. Um, pet, I suppose petrol heads is not the term we should be using in this context. But for all the kind of the kind of car geeks out there, explain to me how yes. this car of yours works. You say it's the most energy efficient car on the planet, don't you? Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, I mean, car designed for road use type approval regulations and so on, yes. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a hydrogen car, and all the major motor manufacturers are developing hydrogen cars. They, they've actually been consistent over the last 15 years that it's the end game. Um, the media swings like a pendulum between batteries and hydrogen and biofuels and so on. But, but actually the industry have always been very clear that it's for, for the sort of cars that we've become the range we've become accustomed to with cars for 300 miles plus, um, hydrogen is head and shoulders ahead of anything else in terms of energy efficiency and uh, usability. And so we've got a hydrogen car. It's got a fuel cell. The fuel cell is basically um, uh, electrolysis in reverse. So we're all familiar with the school experiment of having a beaker of water and passing electricity through and out comes hydrogen and oxygen in this case you put in the hydrogen and oxygen and out comes the electricity and water Ah, Uh, it's much more difficult to make the process go that way but that that that, but it does happen and it's about 50 percent efficient which is twice the efficiency of a of a combustion engine wow okay that that then provides electricity in our car to motors in the four wheels Okay. And this is where it differs from the, um, the the cars being made by the auto uh, industry, hydrogen cars being made by the auto industry. And those four motors are also the brakes. Um, right. There are friction brakes for emergency stops, but in all normal use, the, 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 the motors provide all the braking. And they generate electricity, which is fed back into a bank of supercapacitors, mm-hmm. which store electricity. And unlike a battery, you can throw a lot of electricity in or take it out very quickly. Right. Um, so it's ideal for braking when you've got really very high energy flows. We've got 60 kilowatts of, of electricity flowing into our supercapacitors when we're braking hard. Right. And when you accelerate, they provide 80% of the power. Yeah. That means that the fuel cell only needs to provide 20% of the power I see, for, right. for acceleration. And in a normal car, an engine has to provide 100% of the power. Mm. So we can have the same performance with a fuel cell that's five times less powerful. Right, right. Um, and, um, and so we've got the same, I mean, we've got a two-seater car that does 60 miles an hour, cruises at 60, and it gets to 60 in under 10 seconds. Um, So it's not a direct comparison with the Toyota Mirai, which is the Toyota's hydrogen car, uh, which is a five-seater. But the Toyota has the same acceleration as our car, 
and yet it has a fuel cell that's over 13 times as powerful to achieve that same performance. Right, right. Uh, it also uses over three times as much hydrogen. We both have a range of 300 miles. We've got a tank that contains one and a half kilos of hydrogen. Their tank has five kilos of hydrogen. Okay. It's the same range. Okay. Um, and so what happens to the... the I was going to say, what happens to the water yeah, that, that comes out of the car? The water comes out a combination of uh, hot water dripping and steam. Okay. Um, but there's very, very little of it. Right. I mean, it's, uh, if you drove... I, I, some time ago I worked it out, but it, it's sort of two or three wine bottles of, of water if you drive from London to Edinburgh. So it's not really very considerable quantities. At no, all. no, 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 right. And, and and where are you at in terms of development? I mean, I was, I was at the Resource uh, and EcoBuild event in London earlier this year. Our keener and more loyal listeners will probably remember that because we had Andre Bird, your, one of your, your designers, yes. on the show because we bumped into him at, at the show and we, we, we talked about River Simple quite briefly then. Uh, I wonder how things have sort of moved on since earlier in the year because I think you were very much at the kind of concept stage there looking to, to build out the commercial model for this. Where, yes. where are you at now? Well, we just finished that car uh, early this year. Yeah. And it's the first car we've designed for type approval regulations for use on the public road. Um, I mean, we have been working on this, the technology and the business model for 16 years now. So okay. it's, uh, it's not a sort of uh, overnight uh, uh, appearance. But um, this, this vehicle we built over the last two and a half years, we've been developing it this year and uh, developing uh, a beta test, we're calling it, of 20 right. cars that we're hoping to start in July next, next summer. Okay. It won't be 20 cars right from the word go, but the first cars will be in the, in the demonstration at that stage. And we're calling it a beta test because um, the auto industry doesn't really beta test technology. It doesn't let customers anywhere near a car until they're almost ready for production, until they are ready for production, mm. uh, by which time everything's cast in stone. But all other technology fields do beta testing more and more nowadays. Yeah. And by bringing customers into the development program much earlier on, you'll end up with a better product. And in our case, uh, we'll come on to the business model later, but we're, we're sell never selling the car. We're only selling performance contracts rather like a mobile phone. Right, And so it's a whole new customer relationship that we're developing, and we want to refine that and learn about that so that when we actually get to volume production and launch the car, we've, we've got a lot of learning under our belt as to how to manage that relationship. And uh, so, and what's, for the benefit so of all. what sort of things do you expect to, to be changed then in the, in the design and the performance of the car based on this beta uh, sort of phase? Well, I think it's uh, we, we will we've got a very minimalist view on what a car should be. There are none of the bells and whistles of a modern car, but we but we do want to really understand what bells and whistles really are valuable to customers, and uh, we want it to be comfortable and reliable and safe. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some things that people like. For instance, um, I mean, it can be as trivial actually as, as uh, the, 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 um, the ubiquitous cup holder, which is a, 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 comes up all the time in car design, <laughs> or not. And so one of the things we're thinking about is uh, that a customer, a new customer, sends us their favorite cup, and we 3D print a cup holder that actually fits their cup 
rather than being a sort of generic one-size-fits-all solution. Right. So things like that, where people really see some value, the, the level of, um, uh, uh, of uh, um, um, apps and access to apps and other functionality on digital functions uh, on, on the screen, we want to really understand. And we're very conscious of the safety implications of mobile phones and the way some cars are going now, we think that the actual um, digital interface is becoming a, a, a safety issue. Mm. Um, we are, um, but nonetheless, there are some things that really are useful and important and we want to understand which they are yeah. and try as much as possible to develop an interface that allows flexibility for customers to use what they want rather than us developing uh, our own clunky apps mm. uh, provide something that can host uh, uh, all the, the, uh, the more sophisticated apps that are emerging so rapidly out there and the development cycle of those is so much quicker than those of cars that yeah. uh, we want to um, allow our system to, um, to, to to make best use of what becomes available rather than try and develop ourselves. Yeah. Um, there's, there's obviously some durability issues that we will learn about over, over a period of time. Um, learning about how to manage the relationship, though, how to manage the, uh, the, 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 the scheduling of servicing. There's very little servicing involved for the car because there's, there's no moving parts in the car apart from the right. wheels. Right. The steering wheel and pedals, but no high-speed moving components with lubricants and oil changes and things like that. And also all the structural materials are inert. But nonetheless, there are things that degrade. Mm-hmm. The car's wirelessly enabled, so we will know more about the state of health of the car than the driver will. Wow. And so yeah. all, the, all the servicing will be um, proactively scheduled rather than just um, uh, according to uh, the condition of the car rather than fixed service intervals and it will be by appointment at the customer's home or or, or office rather okay. than coming into our workshop right we don't really expect to see the car back to us um uh during each contract um we expect the contracts to be one to three years and the car will come back to us in between those but um yeah by and large during the period of contract it stays with the customer the entire time so does that mean you'll be employing people almost like an AA service where you know they'll be going out on the road to service these vehicles? Yes, uh, rather than having them all based in this centralised workshop. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, the car is designed for what we call the local vehicle segment, which is not necessarily urban. And, mm. and it's more likely you're more car dependent if you're in rural areas than, than, than urban areas. That's true. Uh, so um, we... The reason for this is that um, all disruptive technologies always come to market in a little niche where the, the, the limitations don't matter too much. And the, ma- the biggest limitation with hydrogen cars is, is, is refueling infrastructure. Yeah. And, and at the moment, I think it's the one area where there is, hasn't been a lot of strategic thought about a transition strategy to bring it to market. Mm. So uh, if you launch a car with motorway capable, capability, you need a few hundred filling stations to really create a credible market in the UK. Whereas if you launch a local car, that critical scale of infrastructure comes down to one filling station to create a market. Now, it's a small market, but it's it's commercially viable. And anybody who has a reason to come into that town at least once a week and wants a car for local use, which a Mm -hmm. lot of people do, is a potential customer. Right, it also right. means that if you put 50 cars into the market, 
they all use that one filling station. So the investment case for the infrastructure provider is much stronger. Yeah, and, right. Um, and it's a standalone investment case that isn't dependent on 300 filling st- other filling stations. And as, yeah. you, as you want to expand your market, both for hydrogen, for the, the, the gas company, and for cars, for us, we can expand one increment at a time. Each one is a standalone business case and opens up a new increment of market that is um, commercially viable and breaks even quite quickly. Yeah. And it also, going back to your servicing point, it means that all our vehicles are relatively concentrated in an area. So mm. that we are not putting 50 cars in that could be anywhere between Land's End and John O'Groats. Yeah, That gotcha. really would be a challenge. Um, yeah. but, but it allows us to... Um, to, to achieve a relatively high density of vehicles in each of the markets we open up at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of your kind of development process is kind of so ingrained with this, this building this really strong customer relationship. You're not going to sell cars. You're going to allow people to kind of buy into the subscription model. I love that idea. But, I mean, what sort of people do you think will, will do that? I mean, presumably it's, it's people that are really sort of bought into the environmental message, right? Well, we're not really targeting people on um, on eco-guilt grounds at, at all. We want to offer something that people take because they want it. Right. And so it's a combination of it's got to look good and people want to be seen in it. Mm-hmm. It's got to be fun to drive. And it is. It's, I mean, not to 60 in under 10 seconds and a really lightweight, nimble, precise and rigid chassis. Mm. Um, We've got a lot of Lotus background people in, in, in the organization, and, and it's genuinely a really sporting car to drive, up to 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, it's also no-cost premium over a conventional car. All new technology, low-carbon vehicles, carry a premium, even yeah. a, a Nissan Leaf, let alone a Tesla, um, which is inevitable because it's new technology is by definition built in lower volume and then therefore is more expensive than petrol engines, which are staggeringly cheap today. Yeah, but if yeah, we yeah. sell the service, it means that um, we can amortize the product over many, many more years of customer use. So we can, and we, we are the one, we have an interest in, in creating, um, making the car more efficient because we are the ones that pay for the fuel in mm. this all-inclusive contract. So it completely changes the economics of bringing new low-carbon technologies to market and allows us to bring the technology to market at the same cost as price to the customer um, or, or as a, a, a small family hatchback, even though the cost price of the vehicle is much higher to us initially. Of course. Um, so what, what, would, and, a, what uh, would a monthly fee look like? Give me a ballpark. What are we looking at? Well, this is... Uh, it only indicative, and we've done a lot of work on it. We we benchmark against uh, a small diesel Golf um, um, right. as being sort of archetypal small family hatchback, um, and it, it because we don't bundle the costs of cars uh, normally. Uh, it's very difficult to understand what the real cost is, and the industry is very adept at making cars look cheaper than they really are. But when you include all the depreciation or the balloon payments. Uh, the insurance, the um, uh, uh, the fuel and uh, um, maintenance costs and tyres and so on. We reckon that the first three years of ownership of a VW Golf, um, mm. based on 10,000 miles a year, works out somewhere between uh, 450 and 500 pounds a month. 
Okay. As the car gets older, that, that goes down. And so we're aiming to be uh, at that benchmarking at that sort of price. So the indicative figure is £370 a month as a fixed price bit plus 18 pence a mile. Okay. But, okay. but I wouldn't hold us to that. We'll, we'll, we will find out more as, as we develop the, the service about what the real costs work out at. But, but we think at that stage, we're profitable and we're yep. the same total cost of ownership. Although there is a communications issue in mm. that people don't appreciate that's what cars really cost. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's, a, there's an education piece, but I think you're absolutely spot on. It, it, yeah, you take away the fuel costs. I mean, it's it, which can go up and down, of course, but um, it sounds like a, a smart, smart model. The it might be an unfair question, but why has it taken you 16 years to get to this point? Uh, well, um, there's been a lot of. I mean, there's been a lot of. <laughs> terribly sorry. Um, Bless you. There's been Bless a lot you. of technology development in that in that period. So. Uh, we've been through three total vehicle programs. The first one was with um, a £1 million uh, grant from the Technology Strategy Board with Morgan Cars and Oxford and Cranfield Universities and BOC and Kinetic. And that was really a pure research program to prove the technology. Because we were told by the chief scientist of MARA, the Motor Industry Research Association, initially, that what we were planning to do wasn't possible. And when it came to the, 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 the grant application, he became our most vocal supporter, saying they'd run their numbers, and theoretically what we're talking about was possible. Right. So that car only ever ran in the test cell. Uh, but it was a hugely useful program. It was, it was shown at Geneva in, at the Motor Show in 2008. And uh, it demonstrated that it was technically feasible to have a sports car that did 0 to 60 in 7 seconds, could cruise at 80 miles an hour with a fuel cell of only 22 kilowatts, which is less than 30 horsepower. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it returned a, an equivalent energy consumption of 178 mpg. Uh, then we built a, a smart-sized uh, car, which they called Herban, the hydrogen urban car, which was not designed for road use. It was purely a, a, a development platform for developing the technology. We, we developed that over a four-year period, really, right, um, through to 2012. Um, and that did 0 to 50 in... Um, eight seconds and it could cruise at 50 and it did the energy equivalent of 300 mpg Um, and then we did raise the funding to do the current car the raza um, which is the first car we've built for european type approval right Um, and and of course the big limit we could have done things a bit quicker if we'd had more money we are doing things that in, in different in many ways. We argue that when you're going through a step change in technology, it actually reduces all the risks and barriers if you change everything at once. Right. And that is yeah. a bit counterintuitive to people. So it doesn't matter whether it's investment or, or, or grant funding. It is always a struggle when you're on the outside of the industry to convince people this is actually a wise investment. Yeah. Um, and in so, fact, we've been through less than less than twenty million pounds in the last sixteen years, um, and none of the other hydrogen cars on the on the road today have cost less than a billion. So, right, um, right. In, in that sense, it, it's quite good value for money. Um, but um, but yeah, sixteen years seems quite a long time. But I mean, 
but, but but it also it, must make it sweeter. It's achieved. Well, that, I was going to say, it must make it sweeter now for you that you've got to this point. I mean, how does it feel to be running this business? You're, you know, you're, you're on the cusp now of something very, very exciting. How, how do you feel about that? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly hard work, but um, <laughs> we really do feel we're in the right place at the right time. I think it's it's widely acknowledged within the industry as well as outside uh, the auto industry that the the model that we have today is fundamentally broken Uh, the interests of the industry the financial drivers are not aligned with the needs of society or Mm. with regulation which is why people are almost forced to cheat Um, and and if we if the model that serve and the margins are absolutely tiny and the, the risks of developing a new model are so enormous. I mean, it's five or six years for a new model selling hundreds of thousands of units to break even. Mm. So it's a huge risk to commit to developing a new model of car. And we need to develop a model that is, is more profitable and is rewarded for delivering what society needs and what mm. regulators are forcing upon it because uh, it's just smarter business. And if so, if the model that serves this enormous market and this enormous market is not going away, um, if that model's broken um, uh, uh, and the market isn't going away, we're in a it's a very promising position. Yeah. We've got a solution that addresses. Uh, the unsustainability of the industry at the moment. And it's not just environmental unsustainability, it's financial and social unsustainability as well. And yeah. we, we really do feel that we've got a whole system approach that addresses all the, the issues, not just one or another of them. Um, and I guess Not just a technology play. No, and I guess one of the frustrations for, from the outside looking in, um, I mean, even if you just took purely from an environmental point of view is that some of the the main players in the in the car making industry could could do this sort of thing overnight couldn't they but obviously it goes against the the grain i mean it's we've had examples in the energy industry where you've got some energy companies that say look we need to give up this whole fossil fuel business let's focus on the clean energy sector but do you do you think we'll see a similar shift in the car sector where you've got some of the big boys saying you know what let's get out of combustion engine now well, they are doing that, but they do have to plot an incremental path forwards from where they are at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's the old Alice in Wonderland thing. If you want to go somewhere, I wouldn't start from here. But they are where they are mm. and, and, and um, have huge respect for them because, I mean, it's, it is a very difficult um, starting position to work out a, a way forwards. They have to try and put, for instance, hydrogen technology into the sort of cars they make in the sort of manufacturing um, plants that they have um, to be sold through the distribution system that they already have Mm. uh, on the business model that they already have, all of which is designed around combustion engines in the 20th century. Um, And we're saying that actually, if you try and persuade a fuel cell to behave like a petrol engine, it really doesn't do it very well. Mm. So you increase the stress on the technology hugely, which is why it costs them north of a billion to develop a hydrogen car. So yeah. trying to make the fuel cell do something way beyond the state of the art. And we're, we've had, the, we call the car a Raza, as in tabula Raza, clean slate, because right. we've had the opportunity to develop the car completely around this new technology. And not only the car, but the whole business model yeah. around the technology and around the constraints that we face in the 21st century, which really mm-hmm. weren't on the radar in the 20th century, things like climate change and so on.
Yeah, absolutely. uh, So we've our business model, for instance, if you sell cars, you're rewarded for obsolescence and high running costs, which is the opposite of what the customer wants. (laughs) And it's also directly rewarding the maximization of your resource consumption. The more cars you make, um, the, the better. Definitely. In our business model, we're rewarded for longevity and low running costs, which brings our interests into alignment with, with customers. Yeah. But and also it, rewarded for resource efficiency rather than resource consumption, which brings us our business into alignment with regulation, which mm. is driving to, towards more and more resource efficiency necessarily. Mm. Um, and it's just smarter business to premise your future profits on the inevitable trends that we face mm. um, and if you premise your future profits on maximizing resource consumption when we know that we're under pressure to reduce that it's just not uh, it, 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 it's not future proofing the business put it that way no and it's definitely nice not to have that that baggage that so many companies are saddled with i guess um now hugo yeah. we've got some some great people tuning into the show some of them you know working for big business and they're looking for ideas to sort of take back into their own companies and and share with their teams we've got some people that are doing that but also have their own ideas and desperately want to start up their own business uh some have already taken that plunge and you know they're at various stages of, of running that business I, I wonder it's you know specifically with the 16 years past in, in mind what advice you might have for people that are jumping into the world of creating a better business and you know when we say better obviously we mean more more efficient more resilient more sustainable mm-hmm. more responsible what what advice do you have for our listeners out there well i mean i i i, I suppose i'm i i i would advise people not to be afraid of a step change uh, we are used to the idea that changing one thing at a time is the prudent thing to do. And if you're optimizing something mature, that is definitely true. But if if we are, uh, we, we are facing a step change in all industry and every company in every country in that we're moving into a world where the primary constraints are resource efficiency, peak resource issues, energy security, climate change, things like that, which weren't on the radar in the 20th century. And, and it is much easier to, to build a profitable platform if you design something for those conditions rather than trying to change existing traditional businesses that have um, evolved in the 20th century and adapt them to do something that fundamentally they weren't designed to do. And mm. it's rather counterintuitive in our Western uh, mindset to, 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 to think of um, changing multiple things simultaneously as lowering risks and lowering barriers. But it's, it, it, in, in the circumstances we face at the moment, I think that's absolutely true. So um, I, I think we've got to think in terms of uh, aligning interests of all the actors in the system. You've got to make sure that everybody wins. You've got to align your business interests with those of your customers and those of of the regulators and so on. And that's not an altruistic or environmentally oriented um, viewpoint. It is simply smarter business. It future-proofs the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, we think of... um, A good illustration is the way evolution happens. 
species do evolve into more and more sophisticated specialized niches um, in periods of relative stability. But when you have a, a, an external change uh, in conditions, as with meteorites hitting the planet and dinosaurs being in trouble, um, a new world order emerges and it doesn't come as a modification, a refinement of the previous world order. It comes from completely different directions. So dinosaurs were replaced by mammals, not by better dinosaurs. And, and, and it, we don't often go through the seismic changes that we're facing at the moment. Um, but I would um, uh, urge um, people to um, accept the fact that in the circumstances we face at the moment, um, uh, it, it is much less risky to change multiple things simultaneously. But we really have got to think about the whole system and how all the interests are aligned and uh, mm. build a business on that on that basis. And it's a much more resilient and profitable business if we do. Sure. No mean feat, but it's um, the rewards are there for all to see. But uh, Hugo, it's been a pleasure. There's more and more um, examples of it. It's there is there, all around us and there so is there's lots of useful examples to pluck from there indeed indeed uh and we've had a number of them on the show which has been fantastic and, and river simple is, is another one it's a, a company i've come across numerous times in the last 12 months for various reasons and i've been meaning to invite you on the show to tell us all about it i'm, I'm very glad we did um thank you and yeah please come back again another 12 months let us know how you're getting on won't you thank you very much john be delighted Hugo Spowers there, founder of River Simple. Uh, what a great business. Um, I'm yet to drive the car. I'd love to take it for a spin, but a great model as well. Just a great concept of how you uh, really encourage people to, to make that shift. Um, but yeah, if you want to know more or put your name down for one of these little beauties, then head over to the website, riversimple.com. Anyway, before I go, just another quick reminder to please sign up for the Better Business Show newsletter. Um, head to our website betterbusiness.show you'll find a big box there right at the top just give us your email address and you'll start getting that uh, on Fridays Uh, it has all the links to the latest episodes and any news we might have for you including the survey that we're going to put together next week love you to get involved in that Uh, but that's it for another week Uh, we'll be back again for our Friday 5 show uh, that comes out Friday lunchtime so look out for that but until next time goodbye